It's time to review a blockbuster round three of this year's Rugby World Cup. Australia crumbled against Wales and looked set for their first ever pool stage exit, while Ireland grabbed a statement win against world champion South Africa. Joining myself in the full house of columnists today to look back at the weekend is South African rugby legend Cobus Visa. Let's get going. We are now over halfway through the pool stages. We've got a pretty good idea of what the quarterfinals will look like after the two headline games at the weekend. Um, one of them was every bit the contest we expected and hoped it would be, while the other one couldn't have been further from it. Australia are now set to go out at the pool stage for the first time. Um, headline of the weekend was that the world number one side, Ireland, made a big statement towards proving that they're the real deal this World Cup. Today, our special guest is someone whose nation was on the wrong side of that result. Kobus Visa, how are you feeling about Saturday night? Yeah, I think, uh, Oli, thanks for the invitation. I think it's, um, it is an interesting one. It was always going to be a, um, a, a tough call. It's always going to be, it was going to be one of those games that uh, uh, won't have a, a big difference in score and, and it could have gone either way. It, it take nothing away from from the Irish. I thought they played with massive heart and spirit, as they always do. They absorbed a lot of pressure, uh, and um, I, I think in the end, you know, deservingly winners. But also in the same uh, in the same breath, I would like to say that you know, if South Africa landed their kicks and and again used one or two opportunities, could have gone the other way. But that was just the, the nature of the beast. That was the kind of game. Yeah, 11 points and kicks is a lot. And we'll get to that in a second because obviously there's a certain name who could come back in to maybe fix that issue. Um, in the press conference afterwards, Jack Ninabar was asked whether he still felt South Africa could win the World Cup. I felt that question wasn't particularly well worded. But do you think your chance of winning the, uh, winning the World Cup were any lower after that result at the weekend? No, I, I also heard that uh, chirp in the, in the press conference and there was a bit of sarcasm, I suppose, from the coach and, and the captain. But yeah, I, I thought it was a, a question that was a bit odd. I mean, of course, you know, it's like saying um, the All Blacks who lost against uh, the French in the opening game, are they now out of the World Cup? Of course they're not. Uh, or or uh, the Welsh side, uh, you know, had a terrible season, uh, but uh, looking strong getting there. England had a terrible season. But, but growing in confidence. So, of course, it's on the day. Um, how many teams have you seen uh, between the World Cups that they're sort of out of uh, uh, form, but then all of a sudden uh, comes to World Cup time, they hit the button, and, and there they are. So, I still say I think this is going to be a really interesting World Cup. I think a couple of surprises are still on the cards, there's no doubt, because some of the out-of-form teams are suddenly getting into form. And as you know, Ollie, World Cups are... On the day, it's on. The, it, it's during the World Cup. If you hit form and you play correctly and you play your cards correctly, you keep your head, you're strong in the head, um, and make uh, uh, the right decisions. I mean, you're in, you're in it with a shout. Brendan, I'm going to bring you in here. We've sort of spoken on this podcast about this podcast has existed for about 18 months now, and we've spoken about the sort of games of that time period before. And there were two that stood out. It was France versus South Africa in the autumn and France versus Ireland earlier this year. Where does this rank? It was a thunderous game. Um, I found it quite an odd one in many ways. The, the, the sense of jeopardy, the tension, the spectacle, the intensity, the tapping was off the Richter scale, and that's enough for me. Funnily enough, I, I watched it back a bit yesterday morning, and it was a funny old game to watch once all those emotions come down. There's only 27 minutes of ball in play time. Not a lot of it, which is pretty low by today's standards. Unbelievable Irish defence, but not a lot in attack. And I'm thinking, looking at that, if I was France, who would I want to play in the semi-final? And I rather fancy they'd, they'd want to play Ireland rather than South Africa. Um, so it was, it was a curious match. Um, but just live watching it, it was a match which got your emotions you know, stirred up and, and you know, you were screaming at the TV uh, screen there. So, yeah, it was a terrific match. It was a terrific match. No question about it, but an odd match. Yeah. 27, you're right. 27 minutes, that's not a lot. That's not a lot. That's cause... not a lot at all, given the current current mantras of, you know, yeah. 40 minutes game time and we've got to speed the game up. And, and yet it was a great spectacle. What do you think that says? 
I think it says that sometimes world rugby and others get it all wrong with, with rugby. You don't need a 40-30 scoreline. You don't need 11 tries. All you need is 30 incredible rugby players going at it head-to-head. Yeah, yeah. Let's, um, Kovas, I want to ask you about the 7-1 and how you felt about that when it was announced. And obviously the, the general consensus is it didn't work. Would you have liked to have been part of a team? Did you ever play with a 7-1? But no, I guess there weren't as many subs um, back in your day. But would you have liked if, to be part of a team? Well, as a former tight five forward, I mean, they can make it uh, 8-0, you know. We don't need the backs, really. I mean, <laughs> forwards, forwards do all the hard graft and, and set up all the, 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 the nice play for the backs. But I obviously say that tongue-in-cheek. Um, it's interesting. I mean, it's been, it's been debatable and speculated and... Called, uh, it's not in the spirit of the game and it's not the rules, but there's nothing wrong. I mean, it's it's all within the rules, as everybody knows. Uh, if if uh, if it works for a team and, and that that um, it's one of your strengths, I mean, why not? Which obviously South Africa has got great depth in forwards, as you guys know, and they've been they've been really uh, using that as a strength. And and and, and why not? So uh, I was just a bit worried. Uh, when you get two crucial injuries during a game like yesterday, um, you would be in trouble against a top-tier side. Um, because uh, it doesn't matter if you're a great sevens player or you can play on the wing and cover the gaps there, but if it's the whole game against uh, world-class opposition, it's going to bite you. There's no doubt about it. Um, I think there's a lot being made of it. So um, I think Andy did his homework very well and, and they prepared for that. I, I agree with you, Ollie. I don't think it was that of effective as in previous games but the fact remains it does work for South Africa and it will take a very strong opposition tackle force to neutralize that kind of uh, uh, tactic it just felt like as a result when South Africa needed something in the last 15 20 minutes of the game in attack someone like a Vili LaRue would have been brilliant to bring off the bench not just because of his attacking flair but because he's played however many tests he's played. And obviously, you guys didn't have that. Yeah, I think it's a fair point you're making. Um, again, depending who you want to play, the Irish side has always been known, and I think Andy Farrell's done a great job. Um, not that they haven't had it before, but the Irish have shown they, they're not the number one side in the world currently for, for no reason. They, their structures are, are really good. They're disciplined. Um, they execute their, their, their game plan very, very well. They can absorb pressure. Um, their defense is really good. It's a side with very few um, uh, weak points, if any. So there's no doubt about the fact that they are definitely one of the contenders for this World Cup. Uh, and they've got good backs. I mean, guys like Bundy Aki, he's been really putting his hand up in midfield. He carries well. He's one of the strengths in the midfield. They evolve their game around him when both ball in hand when they're on the front foot. But then again, also their forwards, you know, their forwards are really guys that, that, that play so well and discipline around the breakdown. Uh, when they have ball in hand, they protect it. They, they keep it within their fold. It's very difficult to defend against a side like that if you don't make a lot of mistakes. You know, they don't give you a lot of opportunities. Well, I, I, I was fascinated by it. Um, I thought that when um, Oxen Che and uh, the bomb squad front, uh, front row came on, I thought and Che... Uh, completely dominated Furlong, and I think that if they had had a uh, a goal kicker um, who's a, a you know eighty five percent plus man, um, South Africa would have won, won that game. Um, you know they left eleven points uh, off the scoreboard. Yeah. My, my concern, my concern was if I can come in here, is the fact that we that we persist on picking. Um, Somebody just at this stage uh, that that doesn't land at eighty five percent plus, as you just said, at this level, it's, it's crucial that when it's such a close game, that, that is the difference. If you as you've seen uh, this past Saturday, there's no doubt. I'm a I'm a Marnie Lubbock fan. I think he's a very talented player. Make no mistake about it. Unfortunately, the one weak point at this stage would be his consistent level of accuracy uh, when he kicks to the post. You know, yes, you've got a fuff. Uh, but Faf is, is a makeshift kicker. He's not really a reliable kicker or somebody has done this for years uh, at this level. So we must be careful. Um, we, we, we've nearly uh, gone through the, uh, the pool stages now. But when you get to the playoffs, it's once. You get one chance. And that's it. So rather be safe than sorry. 
Um, I would be very worried to continue with this. Pollard will be playing this weekend against Tonga. There's no doubt. Um, my feeling is if he if he proves that his fitness is up to scratch, he might be the guy that 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 will start in the playoffs. Yeah, I, I think that the goal kicking thing's uh, fascinating because, you know, looking at Marnie Lebuk, um, his goal kicking is he's obviously he's a very very fine player, and his goal kicking in games where. Um, you know where South Africa are clearly in command is usually actually pretty has been pretty good, but it's that I think they they refer to it now those clutch goal kickers who when the heat is really on, and you know it's a two point three point game, and the pressure on the kicker is huge. Those are the guys who are worth their weight in gold in uh, in World Cups, as you know. You know, Joel, Strat Joel Stratsky, Wilkinson for England, and so on and so forth. These guys are the guys who um, who make the difference very often when it comes to these knockout games. Well, interesting point you've made about about bringing Joel in. Uh, funny enough, just for what it's worth, um, Kitch Christie, the coach, said to Joel, uh, "Just by the way, Joel, you should kick more drop goals. Why aren't you using? You can. You've proven it. Why haven't you done this uh, more regularly?" Mm. And then he, I think it was before the the the, the, the quarters or the semis, and then he spent a bit more time. And you know, good Lord, behold! Uh, in the end, <laughs> it was a telling factor. So, <laughs> yep. I feel like um, I should bring in Chris because I think Chris, if you if correct me if I'm wrong, you were the one person who predicted an Ireland win last week, and you said that you would be feeling very smug this week. So now's your chance to rub our noses in it. Um, <clears throat> I do smug better than most people. Um, uh, it's uh, I I thought I did, look it, that was a fifty fifty call. I mean, it was a fifty fifty game. I thought it was a wonderful match, actually, a wonderful contest, wonderful occasion. I agree with everything that's been said about the kicking. I mean, we wrote a column about it at the weekend. I mean, Stransky barely missed in that World Cup. I think he missed two kicks in the whole World Cup. Um, you've got your Matthew Burks and these people. Pollard in the last final was punishing. Absolutely. Percy Montgomery was punishing when they played England in, in 2007. It's, it's, a, it's a massive thing. I think the Springboks genuinely want to play. I think they have broadened their attacking game really impressively and I think I thought Vilemsa was brilliant um, against Ireland I thought he did some really really interesting unusual off the cuff kind of stuff which which did ask serious questions of the Irish defence I think with their centres I and I think maybe the, the reluctance over over Pollard I mean apart from the injury side of stuff is the centres are uh, uh, um, I mean, they can distribute, but they're, they're not natural distributors in the way that some other centres are. I mean, they're very aggressive, very, you know, very game line type players. Am um, is that little bit different. And I think he was a big loss. Uh, I think they'd be more comfortable playing Pollard and keeping the attacking game if they had a more creative centre available to them. Uh, I don't know quite how it's all going to pan out. I, I think it's fascinating. But... It do, does seem to me that they've nailed their colours to this idea that they're going to try and get the ball wide. They are going to take people on in the attacking sense. They've certainly got the armory to do it. Um, whether they whether that happens with Pollard at 10, as well as it has done in the past, I don't know. But if I was Erasmus, well, I think Erasmus is bound to pick Pollard for the big games because in the end, that boot's going to win things for you. I mean, Rassi's has already already said that Pollard will play against Tonga, hasn't he? So I guess yeah. he's colours to the mast in that sense. Yeah, uh, did he? What did he put that out on a tweet or a video or something? Oh, well, I've, I've just it, as a headline, to be honest. Has he put anything out about the referee um, and that last ruck? Um, that was an interesting <laughs> one, wasn't it? The, the ball, <laughs> the ball, <laughs> the ball I, I, was sitting there like a poached egg. I mean, Cobus, what would you have said? Would you, would, would, you, would you have mentioned something to the referee at that point? No, I, I, I'll be the last guy to go and blame the referee for something. I, I thought he had a fair game. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, and obviously we say this tongue-in-cheek, but whenever you, 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 you lose, then obviously that's the easy thing to go to. But it would be unfair to blame the referee. Yeah. There's no doubt. Uh, South Africa had opportunities. So did the, the Irish. They just came up better this time around. It's setting up the World Cup further for, for some exciting games. There's no doubt about this. Uh, 
you mentioned Pollard. I mean, I'm uh, as a bigger Pollard fan. I think he's an extremely talented player. We've seen what great season he had in, in the UK uh, for Leicester. He's been on brilliant form. Um, he's one of the flyers with one of the best passes, flat passes, skipping two, three guys left and right. He's always had that since school. I mean, he's extremely talented. Um, and, and I think in 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 when it comes to goal kicking specifically. Probably the more experienced and Lubbock, more level-headed at this stage, which is which doesn't belittle Lubbock in any way. Um, it's just he's, I think he's much more experienced. But talking about the midfield, you guys, I, I've been an Andre Estrason fan forever. I think he's also in brilliant form. Um, they've tried they've tried a, a Kanan Moody, who's a recognised winger, who's been sens- sensational on the wing uh, against the All Blacks at Twickenham. I mean, he was an immediate hit. He's, he's an incredibly gifted player. That's an exciting combination. Whether Rossi will will use these potentially exciting combinations in crucial games, I doubt it. I think he's going to be extremely controversial, uh, conservative. He's going to stick to those, which is a pity in a way, because I, I think you've got to give these youngsters an opportunity. You mentioned out wide, Curtly uh, Aaron, so that guy's been a, score, a, a try-scoring machine whenever he gets the chance. We know Colby, Willem Sir, is a bit like Henny LaRue played with me. They're geniuses. And, and, and Devon Safferton, an ex-Springbox scrum, I've used to say, um, those are the kind of players that not even themselves sometimes knows what the hell they're going to do when they get their ball in hand because they're that talented. Um, and you should allow those kind of players to, to play and then play around them and, and link onto them. So, yeah, I think I, I would stick with him at fullback, Willem. So I think he brings a lot of, a, a lot of cloud, a lot of uncertainty for the opposition because he's really got to you got to guess the whole time what he's doing but it's interesting i would rather be in this position um then 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 sort of flip a coin who the hell do i have to pick because there's like 10 oaks i can put on the wing or six on the center and so forth um uh, this is what russia's got at this stage but i would love to see as you said we must get the ball wide we've got great forwards but let's score tries we've got Ooh. these guys standing on the wing you know and they and they and they getting cold not getting ball sometimes I'd be tempted to get Esterhausen involved. He um he's more skillful than people give him credit. I think yes, mm-hmm. he's very strong going forward. He's got a fantastic left foot. He's a bit more of a complete centre. And if you want to maintain a bit of that, and it obviously works brilliantly with Quinns, who play this wide, expansive game. So I'm not sure it's quite nailed down in midfield. But as you say, the, the conservative option would be to go with two tried and tested, strong, powerful, very very um aggressive in defence characters. You're not gonna. You're not going to lose out there, but I think you could gain a bit by bringing Esther Hazen in. Do you think, Cobus, um, uh, there's anything to the argument that this has turned out uh, in respect of the Ireland game? This has turned out all right for the box because you might, irrespective of that that game, it, it, it tricking them before the, the tournament started, you might fancy playing France with who either don't have Dupont or you have or they have Dupont patched up with a plate in his cheek and he'd be less than human if he took the field with a new plate and a fractured cheek. But, I mean, you might have done it, Cobus, but you were always less than human. Um, <laughs> you, you, I mean, it, it might be, it, it might be, I'm not sure France are going to be the same side with either without Dupont or with a very hesitant Dupont. It may be that Dupont gets out there and pl- still plays a house down. But that might be a little bit more in the Springboks' favour than running into New Zealand, who might just be generating a little bit of momentum there. I think it's a very interesting point and a fair point you're making. That the French, before with Dupont, is a is a is a is a far better team. Um, the, the loss of Interbank was also big for them. So it's two really important players in their whole machinery, uh, uh, which which they play a huge role in creating play. That's a typical French. One thing, one thing Fabian Gaultier has done, where the French has always been criticised in the past, that we've always known they've got flair, plenty of flair. They get born with flair, with emotion, but they never really had a pack of forwards that can really dominate against England or South Africa or the All Blacks uh, and so forth. So now he's created a pack of forwards um, that can do the same, lay the foundation, talk with these big, uh, with, with the other more traditional forward-playing physical uh, uh, countries, like I've just said. Uh, with that arsenal of absolute brilliant talent in the back that can create anything from nowhere. Yes, it will be a massive a massive uh, loss for them if he can't play in a possible final. Uh, before the, 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 um, the injuries of these two players, I would have said uh, I would rather play the French in a final. But you know, one thing that I can tell you, um, anybody who writes off the All Blacks uh, would be fools. 
there's no doubt the history, um, the, the, the pride, um, the talent, uh, everything is still there. It's still a world-class side. Um, and I think they'll be focused when they get to a playoffs. There's no doubt about it. I would personally, in this, in this instance now, I would play the French now and rather play the All Blacks in the final uh, if that answers your question. Interesting. It is. I'm, um, I'm intrigued, you know, because um, uh, it's a long, long way back, but I can remember Reeve playing in a Bastille Day win in New Zealand on tour with a broken shoulder against <laughs> and and they won the test against the, the the all blacks dupont i think is a really gritty um piece of work we we've seen that you know so i'm not sure that he'll be um too intimidated uh in that regard but i also think that the depth that galtier has built there are two really i'd say i, I think Collier is exceptional I think he's very, very good. He's a very dangerous running halfback. He's got a good kicking game. And Luku, um, who very often gets a nod ahead of him um, off the bench, is a, a really nuggety piece of work as well and uh, and and is tested. They're both tested at, uh, at this level. So it might be a different France. Um, well, it will be if Dupont if Dupont isn't there, but that they will be massively um, less effective. I'm not sure. I, I think. I, I think. I, I, th I think you're right. I think you're right, Nick. That those two, the the, the, the two backup scrum halves, are, are quality individuals. They're quality players. Yeah. But Dupont has has come to symbolise this team. Yeah. Everyone routinely just describes him as the best player in the world in any position. I, I mean, people people are worshipping at the throne of Dupont all over France. And it's quite tough, I think, for a team that uh, that has the pressures of, 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 of tournament hosts on them. And so much of the sort of national rugby spirit has been invested in Dupont that it's not it's not a question of whether he can be replaced skill-wise or strategically or tactically, it's a question of whether they can do without him emotionally. Yeah. That, that, that's, a, that's a really big question. It's a really good point too. And it, it sort of flips into another point, which is, you know, Dion Fury is a, um, is, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen him playing obviously in, uh, in, in the European Cup and so on and so forth for the Stormers. He's a very, very, um, abrasive, very good player, no question about it. But he's what is he? Is he a back row forward or is he a hooker? Um, now the loss of Malcolm Marks for the Springboks for me is highly significant, not quite of the Dupont uh level, but very, very important player as far as South Africa yeah. is concerned. I'm interested to hear what you what you feel about that, Cobus. The loss of Marks, yeah. Absolutely. I, I, and, and please forgive me if you think I'm biased, but I think currently probably the best hooker in the world. The yeah. impact he brings to the game overall, not only lineouts, he's a massive scrummer because of his, he's quite a tall hooker, as you guys know. He's extremely physical, but he, at the breakdown point, he's a fourth loose forward. He's seniority. No doubt. I, I can't agree with you more. I think he's a massive loss. Um, very much uh, in the same way to lose a Dupont. I mean, to lose Dupont in uh, in, the, in French context is like uh, they would decide tomorrow that croissant, baguette, and foie gras is no longer available to be eaten. I mean, it'll be a disaster. So, so uh, that's what Dupont means to them. He's, he's an iconic figure for them, and, and I think he's a really good leader. Make no mistake. I mean, he, he keeps that side together between Dupont and and uh, Fabian Galtier. I think they've. They, they've done a mindset change with the French. The French mentality, no disrespect, has always been sometimes going or walk about uh, one game and the next game they're brilliant and the next game they're crappy. Uh, but, they, but they've changed that. They've shown the last two or so odd years they can beat anybody in the world. They're mentally strong. They have the ability. And as you mentioned earlier, you guys, that uh, playing at home, even with a loss of two or three uh, players, the, the French support... There's this massive expectation and the support are there. We can see at the stadiums, it's great, the support in the World Cup. The vibe is brilliant. So the French are expecting their side to be in the final. Come hello, high water. Doesn't matter against who. 
Mm. You have you have to say, don't you, that that um, it was it, because he's he's so tough physically, Dupont, um, and his his injury record or his lack of injury record suggests that he's an unusually resilient um, uh, specimen. Uh, so it was always going to be something a bit freakish to put him off the field. And it's sod's law that that's happened in a game that they were always going to win by miles. Um, but some of the things he he was doing again, I know it's Namibia and they were wholly outclassed and he had time and space that a, a top end side is not going to afford him. But some of the things he was doing, you, you, you struggle to do that in unopposed training and get it right. I mean, it was absolutely phenomenal. Some of his invention, the invention of his kicking, was extraordinary to both wings off either foot. I mean, if the tournament loses him, it'll be a bugger. It really will because he is—he is something to see that bloke. Well, I'm a bit reluctant to, to even comment on that because I was accused by an Namibian supporter on Facebook for sounding very exciting every time or excited the French for scoring tries against the poor Namibia. So I mean, it, it, you're right. I mean, it, it, I, I think. It shows that they are serious, to latch on to what you just said, I think that they've shown that they are serious in this tournament. Um, it's an opportunity for the French against anybody in the world in front of their home crowd to bring back the Web Ellis Trophy because it's the Web Ellis Trophy, as you've known, only been won once by a Northern Hemisphere side in the entire history of the Cup. So I think from a Northern Hemisphere, not only a French point of view, this is a really important World Cup for them. And to, and to return to your point about croissant and a possible shortage of them, it's because Franz Malherbe has eaten them all. <laughs> and Australia, uh, well, Eddie said Australia want all of them now as well, don't they? I was about to say, could have been Eddie Jones, you know, but then one ad, I don't know, you've seen it where he's at the bar, but says he's not going to France for the croissants, but it seems now that he actually did go to France with yeah. the croissants. <laughs> <laughs> he, he doesn't have much credit anymore. <laughs> yeah. uh, I mean, look, to put a slightly sour turn on the Dupont affair, um, I was very thankful that we got to see all the tricks he pulled out of the bag in the first half, especially that left-footed kick to Bieber. But at half-time, I was slightly shouting, "Get Dupont off the field!" Because what was the score at half-time? Fifty-four nil at half-time. It? it was a Why? bit of a mindless call, wasn't it, by Gaudio? I think he he took his eye off the ball there. He said afterwards he was going to take him off after fifty-five. Well, what's the point of another fifteen <laughs> minutes? Um, you know, uh, just get him off. Uh, Basically, you know, what's the point? Seriously, a fifty-four. I, I, I don't know that that much. I'm, I'm one to sing Galtier's praises wherever possible. I think he's a. He doesn't get much wrong, but I, he no, took his eye off the ball there. That was really wrong. I think he's probably enjoying it so much watching it. To be honest, yeah. <laughs> Ollie, just before we disappear from South Africa Island, because I know yeah. you've got loads to talk about. Um, just a slightly downbeat note on Ireland, and I speak to somebody who's covered all but one of their World Cup campaigns and you get used to, you know, dampening expectations a little bit. A slight hurdle, I think, is that last match against Scotland is, you know, all it's going to be live, isn't it? They, You know, Scotland are going to get a five-point win over Romania. So they, they need an eight-point win over Ireland to qualify. So it's going to be a hell of a match. Now, I go back to 2015, when it was a pretty good Ireland side that year, not as good as this side, and they their campaign went wrong in their final pool match. They had a pool match against France, and it was warfare. It was warfare. And they lost four injuries, I think. And those who didn't get injured still had that game in their legs a week later when they got stuffed by the Pumas. And actually, France still had that game in their legs when they got absolutely massacred by New Zealand. So just uh, a little bit of me wish that Ireland had somehow got the job done already. Um, it's a bit of a banana skin in in... in quite a few respects that match against Scotland even if they win it they could come out of it with a lot of damage can we just go over the permutations of that because I'm not entirely clear it does, obviously Ireland can't get a losing bo Scotland need to win it one Ireland can't get a losing bonus point but then surely oh it's head to head then isn't it now yeah because then it becomes the head to head result yeah. So yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it's going to be a live match it's a bit live than a bit more crucial than I think some Ireland supporters have yet you know, woken up to after their weekend yeah. celebrating. A lot of people. I, I, I think a lot will depend uh, in that game on which of which, which of two malfunctioning lineouts um, yeah. um, loses the least of their own throws. 
Yeah. <laughs> and and if a Scotland player gets to the uh, shoulder to the head, that player actually gets sent off. That was a belter, wasn't it? What the game? No, no, that that incident. I mean, yeah, it wasn't that wrong decision. Head. I mean, I mean, why do you need eight eight minutes to make a wrong decision? You can make a really stupid decision in eight seconds. Yeah, but it's not it, it's not the only one in the in the World Cup, is it? You know, and that's that's part of a, a wider problem. I mean, the French are actually very very lucky still to have a Taufifenua. Um, yeah, indeed, indeed. because of the uh, yeah. a similar challenge against the Uruguayans, I think you know. So, I, I yeah, I mean, they need consistency, and not to have consistency in a bunker review when you've got another what ten minutes to review it or whatever is just nuts. Oh, amazing! And we never did get to see the replay of the um, Bakatoa tackle on Kingholm, which looked a bit of a shocker in real time. They never even went back to it. I mean, I'd like to see that one again. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah, I think the Telfi Fanua one, the Tonga winger whose name I currently can't remember, and the Jesse Creel one are the three out and out wrong decisions so far. Cobus, makes you make makes you want to go back to South Africa, Canada in '95, Cobus, doesn't it? <laughs> so, sorry, there seems to be a problem with the with the connection. <laughs> <laughs> All we can say was that Gareth Reese got there as soon as he could. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, I, I, it's interesting this point on on this. You know, the the, the cards and the inco- I think that the biggest frustration would for players, for for coaches, for 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 the the man in the street, the the rugby supporter is is, is the inconsistency. You guys, that's right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. Referees are human. I, I'm I'm really not knocking the referees, but but sometimes it's so clear. That it's the same exactly to the T, same uh, uh, incident, and it's a completely different uh, uh, manner in which it's been handled by the referee. And I'm not even talking the so-called bunker, which I still would like to know where the hell is this bunker and who is in this bunker. Because I just hope it's not in Berlin. Exactly. Why are these people in the bunkers not identified? Well, what are we hiding here? Well, <laughs> The bunker is apparently Roland Garros Tennis Stadium in Paris. That's where it all gets referred to. I would suggest it's the bar at Roland Garros, some of their decisions. I mean, to to me, that Scotland red card, the Tonga one that should have been the red card, that was almost a carbon copy of a reason to downgrade the Tom Curry decision. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. High impact, high danger, ever so slight dip. It's not enough. It was a dread. Yeah. I, I agree with all of you. Um, for the record, I actually thought Scotland versus Tonga rather than the red cards was a fantastic game. I don't think we have time to dwell on that too much today because I think the headline from yesterday, um, well, no, the undoubted headline from yesterday was Australia. Um, Chris, you're laughing. I don't know whether you're wanting to gloat. It'll be great to have David well, Campesi back on at some point. I, given he spoke for two and a half hours before the World Cup about how bad Australian rugby was. No, I don't, I don't want to gloat at all. I got I got on well with Eddie, um, as as people keep on reminding me. Um, I was his I was his one I was his one friend on earth. Apparently, um, it was oh. we, we Odie we, Hewitt. I've I've just watched his press conference actually, where um, where he, he he kept on being asked about this supposed meeting he'd all he'd have with going back to about going back to Japan next year. I mean. I mean, talk about timing and embarrassment. And I mean, he denies it's happened. I don't know what you're talking about, mate. But it was interesting when an Australian reporter said, can you guarantee to Australian supporters that you will be coaching the Wallabies, uh, that you won't be coaching Japan next year? He said, I'm committed to coaching the Wallabies. And he kept on saying, I'm committed to coaching the Wallabies. Well, before he came to England... He said, I'm committed to coaching the Stormers. Mm-hmm. Until he wasn't committed to coaching the Stormers. So and over over he came. I mean, I mean, it's just I mean, I've had a, a lot of good times with Eddie. I find him a fascinating bloke. He's a brilliant talker about rugby, all that stuff. But if you if you allow your public persona to be to be such, and that if you basically trade on the fact that you're a my way or the highway sort of martinet of a coach 
then when things go badly wrong, and Jesus, they've gone really badly wrong for the Wallabies, you're not going to generate much sympathy. I mean, it was just embarrassing. The, the TV director every time, you know, I mean, he had to he had to focus a little bit on Eddie because he's such a big part of the story, but he could only do it for two seconds because of the cascades of booze from everyone. I mean, it was, it was, God, he's, I mean, he looked pretty, he looked pretty shell-shocked in that yeah, presentation. Yeah, he didn't look as chipper as normal, did he, to be fair? No, hardly, no. I no, mean, you don't, minus, you, you don't get loyalty with Eddie, do you? You don't get loyalty with him. Like you say, he was, he'd was he signed the contract with Stormers when the RFU came in with a, an offer they couldn't refuse. All the time at England, he was back to South Africa, uh, back to Japan every summer to do coaching. He was writing books. Bowl accounts in Australia last year, he was talking to the ARU when England were on tour. He, you know, he doesn't he doesn't open marriage, doesn't he? He does not do loyalty. Um, so and that's why you then don't get any sympathy. Uh, because he he can be a good coach. He can be he can be very good in, in short doses. He hasn't been very good in short doses so far with Australia, but you get no sympathy when you when you're that sort of character. No. no. Yeah, that's I, I, I think from a from a neutral point of view, I I, I actually pity the wallaby, the players. Um and I also, you know, to be fair, I think also these problems, whatever those problems might be in, in, in the Wallaby camp or in Wallaby rugby at this stage, is started before Eddie came came back to them as oh, well. Yeah. There's something wrong. It's a more deeper thing, to be honest, and I think to be fair. But, but you know, if it's true that he's going to Japan next year, um, you know, I would say this <laughs> tongue-in-cheek, I would be uh, really making sure that my lawyer look over my contract and, and just remove the hurry kitty <laughs> Hurry, kitty claws there. It might be a problem. <laughs> you, you, you could say, Cobus, couldn't you, that the Wallabies now, in, t- in terms of, 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 of the World Cup perspective, they're in, they're in the hole that the Springboks found themselves in, what, around 03? Um, uh, that time when, you know, when Stroudy yeah. was coach and there was a lot of controversy around his approach. I seem to remember, certainly to training and camp style yeah. and all that stuff. The difference between the Wallabies and the box is no matter how bad the box are, and they weren't very good in 2003, rugby is still absolutely one, you know, a beater, a part of the beating heart of sport in South Africa. Rugby union is not that in Australia. It's got a lot more meaningful competition. And the more incidents like this you get, the more failures like of, of this profundity that you get. The stronger NRL and, and Aussie rules and, and and football, the stronger they become. So it, 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 much more of this, and you can see the Wallabies becoming an irrelevance in their own country, and that would be terrible. It'd be terrible for the wider game, and it would be it would be take a lot of pulling back in Australia. Well, there's a Lions yeah. tour and World Cup coming up within the next four years in Australia. Rugby needs Australia to somehow get their act together. Yeah, well, you don't want a Lions tour where no one's interested. No, not after I, the last I, one. I think you guys are, are, are touched on. You know, touched on. It's it's really it's really true. Yes, Aussie rules and and, and the rugby league and and, and cricket even uh, are, are major sports have always been. But but you know maybe the Australian rugby union needs to up their game and 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 get more youngsters involved and do more better marketing. We can't always just blame blame the players and the coaches. You know the the bodies. The unions need to do something about it. This this hasn't started two three years ago. It's been like this for many many a year, uh, and it does help if rugby is really part of your fibre. You, you're dead right about that. It's a bit easier, but in Australia, it's always been a, a, a stepchild that's been fighting against these bigger boys, which is the rules and the Aussie and, and horse racing and cricket and these kind of things. But I mean, that's a fact. So what are they doing about it? I mean. David Campisi, uh, uh, one of the greatest Wallabies of all times, have been saying this for a long time, that this is a problem and they need to do something about it. And, and unfortunately, now it's boiled over. Yeah. I think, I he, think he, he, he was been... telling us that, wasn't he? He was telling us that on this podcast. In fact, he told us about it for so long, he, he drank two bottles of wine. <laughs> They've been, Campo, uh, he told us about it again. I think that Campo, they... are you guys sure? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I'm not saying he bought them. <laughs> I think that they've been they they have been asleep on the job. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly one thing that I'm aware of is that Aussie rules, these other sports are extremely aggressive in the way in which they market themselves. 
um, their broadcast deals and so on, their wall-to-wall. It's very much the sort of American, you know, model in many ways in terms of the monopoly of the big the, the big sport. And rugby union hasn't managed to become one of those. I know that one thing that the Aussie rules people did, because they were, you know, for a long time, they were uh, basically just stuck in Victoria, Western Australia and South Australia. It wasn't a nationwide sport. Was very very well supported where it was, but they specifically went into schools in New South Wales and in Queensland, and they took their game lock, stock, and barrel into those schools. They said, "We'll bring the coaches in. We'll organise the fixtures. We'll, you know, we'll 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 set up the training regimes and so on and so forth." Now, Union hasn't responded. I I don't believe in any way. You know, they always thought that the private schools there were going to be their you know their their feeder system forever and a day and things change and they have not adapted at all and i think that there's massive frustration there because of the uh, the administration and the administration they're not the only people who've got problems with the administration of the sport it's one of the bugbears about the sport in general i think at the moment and um, we definitely need some really high caliber administrators in this sport badly. And they. Well, well, well I think so, Jerry. I think they've moved. There is a, there's a, a little light down the tunnel. Phil War has been appointed the CEO, which is a former top player, which is already a step in the right direction. I'm not saying if you haven't played the game at the top level, you never can be the CEO or a coach of a national team. Not at all, but it helps a hell of a lot. I'll tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm sure that that's a step in the right direction, but um, you know, it's it, it's sort of it's taken a long time to come. You know, it's a long, long time coming. I mean, as you say, this has been down the track, and also along the way, you know, I mean, the treatment of uh, Dave Rennie, the previous coach, um, is has not you know has not done them any favors at all. You know, the parachuting of Jones straight in, and uh, you know, Rennie sort of ushered through the exit straight away. When he's doing, you know, he did a significantly better job than uh, than Jones has managed to do since he's come in. So, well, uh, that expression, look at mate, hey, slowly. Um, Rennie was doing okay, and he brought a B team up last autumn, won two test matches, had no right to win, nearly beat France, could have beaten Ireland. Uh, and I thought Australia were making significant progress there. And if they could have batted on, uh, I thought they'd be a decent team. And that was, you know, dynamited with just the, the appointment of. Of Eddie Jones, I've no idea what the ARU thought they were doing there. I, I think I think it's a it's a serious thing. Obviously, it's it's easy to overreact twenty four hours after a defeat like that, even 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 a, a defeat that was so surprising in its nature. As I, said, I mean, I wasn't astonished that Wales won the game. Uh, Gatland's got a pretty good track record in in tournament rugby of getting his side fit and getting them understanding what they can and cannot do or what they should or should not be doing. And they're quite difficult to beat. And Springboks have found them difficult to beat in, in, in recent tournaments. That semi-final in 2019 was really close against the Wales side, which wasn't star-studded particularly. This is less star-studded, but they're quite effective. But if, if the Wallabies are as bad as they made themselves out to be last night, and they are pretty much, far more than in other major big-time foundation union countries, they are the be-all and end-all of the game in their country. They are the absolute visible, they're the biggest visible symbol, the overwhelmingly the big, biggest symbol of rugby union in Australia. If they're as bad as they looked last night, then the sport in general has a bit of a problem because it can't really afford a weak Australia. It needs a good wallaby side. Um, and I don't know where it's going to come from at the moment. I think it's of some concern because that's a big market to lose, or, or not to lose, but it's a big market to allow to diminish. It's interesting narrative-wise that I believe the last game under Dave Rennie, it was against Wales, wasn't it? Yeah, I think and it they, was. And, and they won. They won. They won thirty-nine, thirty-four in Cardiff. Um, so well, I, mean, yeah, I think it was about a 20 point comeback, wasn't it? In the last 15 minutes, yeah. and as a result, the Wales coach got sacked. I mean, talk about sliding doors moments, yeah. Wow. And this time around, they were 20 points down with 20 30 minutes to go as well. And another well, was scored, but in the other direction, there, there was a sliding doors moment in the game, wasn't there? Last night, oh, yeah, I mean, the line out. I mean, Perecki chucked a line out throw to no one. Well, he ended up with Jack Morgan. 
And and I mean, frankly, who knew he was going to um, give? Was that not the first line out the entire tournament? They lost twenty two. It was a it was a tight game. It was a tight game. The Wallabies were playing some rugby, and suddenly thirteen six down. Yeah, they were 10, 10 six down at that point, right? They had the three and then kicked yeah. the corner instead. Yeah. And not yeah. one of them got up. Not one of them jumped. No, no, there were. And then not one of them chased the ball back either. If that hadn't gone into touch, there were two Welshmen who could score. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I don't think anybody saw a 40, 40 points to six uh, result. No. no. While no. we're on it, how about Gareth Anscombe? Now you know we were talking about bigger last week. Um, the joys of Dan Bigger and a hell of a player he is and talisman. But that was a superb performance off the bench for Anscombe. I mean, he was consummate. And actually, I thought the Welsh backs were beginning to click a little bit more than we've we've seen so far. Maybe not against the, you know, the greatest defence we've seen in the tournament. But, you know, the time he's had with injuries, uh, we forget what a talent he is, Anscombe. He was a really good player when they won that Grand Slam a few years back. He was an outstanding player when he was with the New Zealand under-20s. Um, and he could be quite a player going forward in this tournament. He's got a fair bit of the old Stephen Jones about him. I'm yeah. not talking about the Sunday Times journalist. He's reminiscent of, of Jones in his, in his. You can see the you can see the percentages, the calculations mm. going on in his mind. It's almost as though they're you know the, the calculators on his forehead. He was very good, and and for somebody who I thought looked. Looked like he'd been out of the game for the best part of three years against Portugal, yeah. but he didn't look anything like. And he comes on with, you know, five minutes gone yesterday or whatever it was. And I feared for Wells at that point. You think, cracking, And he didn't put a foot wrong. Terrific. No, I, very I, good. Think, I, I think you guys are right. Anscombe has always been a talent. He's been buzzed with injuries. And, and as you just mentioned, I think the fact that he and, and playing in the shadow of bigger uh, for a while, I think coming onto this field, a, a big game like this under pressure, he stood up to it. That's a, that's a sign of a player with BMT with class. There's no doubt about it. And he stood up to it and he played a massive role. Um, I think one got to lift your hat for him. I think he really, he really had a great game. Did you yeah. ever play Cobus with, with a Springbok captain who shouted at his players in the way that Dan Bigger does? Never. Our forwards would never have allowed that anyway. <laughs> and, and, and if they had, what would you have done about it, Cobus? <laughs> well, he would have been more injured uh, than playing. <laughs> and I'm not talking on the field injuries. <laughs> no, he gets. I must, I must. You know. You know. I've got nothing against Dan Bing. I think he's just a very emotional player. He's like. You know. He's like. Uh, he's like most flyers. You know. They. 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 They sound more aggressive than they really are. <laughs> can't argue with that um guys we've got about 10 minutes left um before we're going to run out of time so let's do a little brief note on england um Copes, i don't know if you watched the england game I, I i think england um came into this world cup a lot of turmoil the last 12 months or year or so you know you guys had a, a certain gentleman called eddie Eddie Jones also involved in that obviously with a bit of sarcasm. But, but I think they they sort of starting to gel together, starting to grow under the radar. Um, whether they'll go to a final is very debatable. But the fact remains, I think they, they're starting to find each other. They're starting to settle down and doing the basics right. Um, uh, so, yeah, they, 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 I think they, 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 they starting to compete, if I can, if I can really, uh, if I can use that word. I'm uh, I, I'm intrigued, Cobus. What do you what, what do you feel about um, uh, the the fly half situation? You know that England have got they've got uh, George Ford, who's obviously come in and played extremely well, and now they've got Farrell come back in after his ban. Um, a lot of people uh, there's a, a significant debate in 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 England about Farrell's effectiveness as a twelve, which is where he shifts to when. Board comes into the side. What, um, what, 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 what's your instinct about what, um, you, you know, what they should do at, at at ten? Well, you also said with it with the with the big talent of Marcus Smith, which they've now, you know, used at number fifteen. He played well there because he's a footballer. There's no doubt about it. You can play him anywhere. He'll do well. He's a talented player. But I mean, the question must be asked, and the decision must be made. 
um, is he the future at 10, Marcus Smith, then stick him there and, 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 and stick with him and play with him. Um, I, I think, you know, Farrell, obviously, Talisman, uh, uh, he's been around for a long time. He can be a bit of a hothead uh, and, and get into trouble, as we've seen. But, but is he the future? Um, is he the answer at inside center? In the, in the long run, I'm not so convinced. You know, uh, Ford obviously came in. He's always had immense talent. We know that he's always been somebody that they say he's got massive talent. And he, and he started the World Cup uh, with an absolute bang. Uh, and now he's the guy in the hot seat at this stage. And so if he continues his his form, he'll be it'll be hard for the coach to move him somewhere else. So so what do you do with Marcus Smith? Then? Do you stick him at the back and stay with him at the back? Um, do you stay with uh, with with Farrell at inside center? It's a bit of a it's a bit of a tough thing for the coach, I think, at this stage or decision to make. Mm. I think he's you you know for 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 what it's worth, I think he's he's already flagged that. Um, Farrell is uh, is his man and will be in the team. I uh, don't think that there's any question about that, and uh, and I suspect it'll be the the them going back to Ford and Farrell, and possibly uh, I don't see them bringing Smith uh, in at fullback when it gets to the knockout stage um, ahead of Stewart. I just think that the fullback is one of the best aerial players, I think, in the game at the moment. And um, you know, given what we see in knockout football, I, I think that if you've got a if you've got a somebody at fullback who isn't good under the high ball, I think that you immediately you're in a put yourself in a vulnerable position. I pay I good money to watch Marcus Smith under the high ball against Peter Steph de Toy. That would be very funny. <laughs> I, th- I think I think you guys are dead right when it comes to playoffs. I think any any sensible coach. Well, no, it'll be high risk to, to, to have any experiment. You need solid people that's proven themselves in certain positions, like a 9, like a 10, like 15, 8th man, that solid line from the hooker right through. You want people that can stand up, that can take the lead, that can show the way, that can absorb pressure, because that's what playoffs are about. It's, it's not spectacular games most of the times. It's hard, blood, sweat and tears, grind, making the right decisions uh, and playing to win the game, to move on. That's all that counts. They're not going to say this team is so, such an incredible team. They played the most beautiful rugby, but never made it out of the pool stages. Nobody cares. It's who gets to the final, and at, at the end, the scoreboard tells the story. It's actually as simple as that. I mean, the I Samoa game will tell us all, won't it? Because you've got to bring all the strands together now and go with the gun 15 against Samoa as a final dress rehearsal for the quarter final. So we've had, like, back row is another area. We're really not quite sure what England's best back row is either. Um, and even in the back three, it has Henry Arundel done enough to start pressing for place. So there's so many balls in the air um, with England at the moment, but they have to make these decisions for the Samoa match. That has to be a full dress rehearsal for seven days later when it will be much tougher. thing is, somebody's got, somebody's, some of the guys played really well on, on Saturday, but it's a, a little bit like Dupont playing training field tricks against Namibia. It was against Chile. It's a 70-point victory. Um, you know, the games that are ahead of them, particularly when they get in the, into the knockout stage, are a completely different kettle of fish. And this England side and its attacking game, I don't think is anywhere near as developed as people are talking about post a game against someone who could not beat them, who, were, who simply were not equipped to test England in any to any significant degree. So what they'll do, I think, is what they what they did back in 07 when they got to the final against all expectations. I think they'll pick the tough nuts. I think they'll attack the breakdown really hard. They did that against Ireland in Dublin and made life really, really uncomfortable for them in that Grand Slam match until Stewart was sent off and the whole game was slightly dislocating. Um, I think that they'll they'll chuck everything at the breakdown. They'll be very, very, as Nick Evans said at the start of the tournament, they may not be the greatest attacking side in the world, but they do, they are equipped to be very difficult to beat. And if they pick their hard nuts and Farrell's won, for sure. But I th- I think that they'll 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 pull the 07 tw- trick and they'll say, We're not going to do very much, but I'll tell you what, guys, you're going to do even less because we're going to be a pain in the ass all game. Yeah. Who takes the goal kicks if Ford and Farrell play then? Farrell. 
Farrell used to when they were in the. Oh 12, yeah, 10. yeah. No, they're they're old. They're old and they're old in now. They're almost as old as me. Those blokes. I, I mean, I mean, I I know that the the guy who played ten felt it was somehow stripping away a bit of his manhood if he wasn't permitted to take the kicks. I think they're beyond that. I think Farrell should would, go. To the would would you? While you guys are arguing about Farrell, would you feel offended if we contract him just for a game or two uh, on a kicking <laughs> basis? If you guys don't use him. <laughs> well, well, I mean, it will be it would be loyalty on the Eddie Jones scale if he went to spring <laughs> just for eighty minutes. I'll tell I'll you, say, I'll tell you, you know, he's very, you know, he's very loved as a player in our country. I mean, I'll tell you what, Cobus, we'd 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 strike that deal with you, but you'd have to play him at thirteen. <laughs> <laughs> well, indeed, and and you you'd have to give us Ebenezer bet. <laughs> well, yeah, we all up the price of it. Actually, Andre Esterhazen, you don't seem to want to pick him. We could do it. Yeah, Esterhazen. we could have Esterhazen. We'd love And, and he's, he's quali- well, he was qualified through us through residency, but now you've gone and picked him again. Yeah, exactly. Bastards. Guys, <laughs> we've got about five minutes left. Let me trouble you all for the usual. And Cobras, I haven't told you about this the moment of the round, the player of the round, and the match of the round. Again, match of the round, similar to last week. I'm going to just say we all agree it's Ireland, South Africa, or South Africa, Ireland. Sorry, unless anyone has any objections. Uh, uh, only a minor objection the most enjoyable match as opposed to the best match. Uh, Portugal, Georgia, yeah, joy that. to watch. I'm with, you. I'm with watch. you there, Brent. And that is and that is the beauty of having those second tier sides and down playing matches where 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 defeat is not guaranteed when they when they take the field. Portugal had something to aim at and, and a, a gen, something genuine to aim at against Georgia. And they delivered. It was absolutely brilliant to watch. I want to watch, I want to watch 18 all. No matter who it's against or who it's between, I want to watch eighteen all a hundred times out of a hundred rather than seventy-two nil. Seriously, and I, I want to watch Portugal every day of the week. I could watch Portugal cracking game. Yeah, hundred. Should there not be guys? Should there not be a cup and a shield? Yes, 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 yes. We've all argued that. Yes, unquestionably. I've been taking. Sorry, We've been running this forever, Cobus, and, and it's gone nowhere. So what we now need is someone um, of a substantial physical size to go along to world rugby and pick up the nearest bloke in a suit and tie you can find and pin him against the wall until it happens. I'm looking at you, Cobus, because you're the first person I can think of. Do I mean, it, it, of course, you guys know that you gain experience by playing against better and bigger size. Of course, that's just the story of life. But but it serves, it's a double-edged sword. It, it serves no purpose when a team loses with 70 or 80 points. It doesn't serve that team or the game of rugby or the, the winner. So I'm with you guys there. I think there should be. And then you give the guys that are the winners or the, the top two of the shield that they could play, uh, qualify to play Main in the cup. Uh, yeah. playoffs. So that's how those guys. So you need to prove yourself that you are worthy of at least playing in a semi or a quarter against the bigger dogs. Cobus, this occurred to me at the end of the Italy Uruguay game. World rugby dodged a bullet there because if Uruguay, I mean, Italy were decent winners in the end. But if Uruguay had played the second half, they played the first half and, and snuck a victory, they would have finished third in that pool. And would have had automatic qualification to the World Cup in 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 twenty twenty seven. Between now and twenty twenty seven, they would have played precisely no one, no one at all, in terms of tier one fixtures. Whereas Italy would be would still be playing a full six nations for the next four seasons. So the Im- the imbalance is is obvious. If you want these teams to rock up at a World Cup and perform, you have to give them the proper build-up over four years. If you're not going to do that, have a cup and shield competition, as as we say, organise it how you like, but you just get far more competitive fixtures in that format. And it's a broadcaster's dream because then you can play that Monday Monday to Thursday. I, I think to add on to what you're saying, the point proven, to add on to what you say, the fact that Fiji, Tonga and Samoa have been so competitive 
They've been playing all this time in the New Zealand League, Australian League, in the UK. They are playing at a top level consistently. So when they get together, they just need to gel. But they can individually absorb this kind of pressure, know the playing field, know the levels of play. They're used to it. Hmm. I think that um, I, I think it's extraordinary, actually, when you look at uh, the Portuguese and the Uruguayans, the two sides that really have, have, you know, have caught my attention. You look at the quality that they've managed to produce, um, given the sort of uh, fixture list that they've got and the level of rugby that they're playing at a lot of the time. All I can say is that I think that these sort of South, South American Super League that they've got has is obviously competitive or more competitive than what they had before because they are a very very interesting the uruguayans and the portuguese are very very interesting sides and um i you know you talk about a player of of, of the round i thought that the open side flanker ardao for uh, Port, uh, for uh, Uruguay was absolutely outstanding you know i mean he's as good a flanker as i've seen in any side any side, anywhere. Six turns. And Martins of, of, of Portugal, Big Seven. He is just a Very fabulous good. player. Why is he not in the top 14? I have no idea. Yeah, yeah. Very much agreed. Covas, uh, who was your player of the round? You know, it's difficult. Eh? I think one, if one really needs to uh, compare apples with apples, I would love to say to see these players I've just been mentioning, the smaller teams, how would they fit in? Uh, in an England side, in a South African side, in an all-black side, you know, with better people around them, they will obviously uh, e be even better. But but I, I think a guy that's made not only in this round, but so far in the World Cup has made an impact is Bundy Aki. I thought he, he's played a massive role. And I think he's mm -hmm. maybe one of the unsung heroes that uh, uh, for the not only the Irish side at this stage, but their success. So I, I think he's still going to play a massive role for them. And, and again, you know, on... On crucial moments against South Africa, he did some brilliant things uh, to keep the back line together and absorb the pressure and get them over the advantage line. So I would pick him. Chris? Uh, uh, Carter Gordon. <laughs> um, well, well, actually, Eddie meant to pick a bloke called Gordon Carter, who apparently is absolutely brilliant. Um, but... <laughs> No, I mean, I mean that's that's cruel. I mean, the bloke's dead right. The bloke's had a really bad taste. For me, for me, Jack Morgan. Yeah, I understand. I mean, the bloke's absolutely playing the house down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Moment, moment of the round. We'll go in reverse order. So, Chris, I'll come to you again. Back to backing. Oh, my moment of the round was. Well, it, it was a. I have two, and it's the same bloke. And one's bad and one's good. It's obviously Dupont. I mean, uh, I can't remember which of uh, the try scoring kicks was, was better against Namibia, but they were just flashes. I mean, it, it, that's just rugby imagination. And it, it's a privilege to watch that stuff. But of course, what then happened to him, and that, well, that was the yeah, rugby incident, I think. But it was. Yeah. If you're talking about significant moments, that may turn out to be the most significant moment of the tournament so far. Cobus, hmm. uh, I'm going to sound like a typical uh, supporter now. His team just lost a moment. Ben O'Keefe blew the whistle when the ball was out at the back of the ruck and the game was over for South Africa. <laughs> this is the man who said just now, well, of course, it's unfair to blame the referee. No, we no, <laughs> We couldn't possibly blame <laughs> the referee. Know, I mean, and then you, 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 you go for an hour and he's the biggest bastard who ever wore the face of the earth. <laughs> Cobus has forgotten that we're still recording. <laughs> oh, dear. Um, <laughs> Brendan? Uh, I'm going to give you two. Um, I enjoyed the moment when James Lowe stepped in like a, a father at a five-year-old party and picked up the naughty Eminets of Beth just rolled him around like a, a ragdoll <laughs> naughty boy. Um, that was an extraordinary moment. And I absolutely loved the second Portugal try. Just aesthetically, it was a beautiful piece of work um, with the uh, the number 10 dummy inside, hook pass back inside, Storty doing 50 metres in about 4.8 seconds. That was a glorious thing to watch. Uh, yeah. Nick? 
Well, we haven't seen the Fijian since since uh, since last last weekend, but I I I would go to Kuravoli. I thought that his salvo of penalties for a bloke who'd never been a, a uh, front rank goal kicker before, and then the uh, sort of uh, the the ice capped up and under he put up, which uh, before Tuisova scored. I thought that was a fantastic um, uh, effort by a young scrum half. On that point, you know, if Farrell turns down, we will be talking to him as well. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and that, and that, and that Tongan bloke, bloke who doesn't miss either. Yeah. Havili, <laughs> cranky. I mean, he's been pretty accurate. I mean, uh, I will just offer a little moment of the round as well, just in case anyone, for whatever reason, hasn't seen the clip of the Irish fans singing Zombie by the Cranberries after full time. And when they turned the song down on the Tannoy system, and th- it felt like 60,000 people, I'm sure it was probably about 20,000, just kept singing it. Without wishing to hose on your parade, um, I wouldn't know the Cranberries um, from a cheeseburger uh, because I'm just too old. <laughs> But isn't that particular song some? Does that not have some political sensitivities to it? For the purposes of that clip, no, Chris. Politics yeah. doesn't have to be a part of everything. <laughs> okay. I mean, I do. You know, I, I you know, I don't want to drag these things up. <laughs> well, I, I, I suggest that go for the cheeseburger. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stick with the cheeseburger. <laughs> no, I can't. Franz Mal herbs had them all. <laughs> <laughs> right guys we'll wrap up there um, plenty more to look forward to in the pool stages and Cobus are you still predicting South Africa win the World Cup uh, for sure mate I mean they are definitely one of the of the, of the favourites still there's no doubt about this uh, like I said take nothing away Ireland this time around and, and, and deservingly but it wasn't a knife set could have gone either way but again World Cups have proven in the past when it comes to playoffs, anything is possible. But South Africa d- d- certainly has the goods uh, to go all the way. Anything is possible. And the build-up to a massive quarterfinal weekend has very much begun. So we've got that to look forward to. Cobus, thank you so much for joining us. And, yeah, we'll catch you soon. Thanks, boys. Have a great one. Good to see you, Cobus. Thanks for listening to this week's edition of the Rugby Paper Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe on whichever podcast platform you use and recommend the show to your friends. The Rugby Paper is available to buy every Sunday. And to make sure you don't miss it, subscribe through our print, digital and online options at therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions. That's therugbypaper.co.uk forward slash subscriptions to get all our content for as little as 14p per day.